How are you guys doing tonight? Everybody good? I just wanted to welcome you guys out to Emerge. Um, for you guys that don't know me, I am Pastor Cole. I've um, been here for a short while now. A lot has happened since the last time that I've seen you guys. Can anybody tell me what it is? I see hands. I'm going to tell you all real quick. Most importantly, I had a baby boy. They're going to throw him up there real quick. That's a little... John Michael Eric Riker. Yeah, that's a mouthful. He is, um, he is awesome. He's my best little friend. Um, truly a life-changing experience to become a father. But I think more life-changing that, than that is when, when you cut your hair after two long years. I mean, girls, you know what I'm talking about. Like, oh, you, the hair always gets, you got to do it every day, and you got to put the product in it. And it's just a life-changing event, and it keeps me up night and day. But I think I, think I like the nice the nice freshness to it. So we are in this series called Rooted, right? And what that is, is it's speaking of, and the verse that we're taking it from is Ephesians chapter 3, verse 16 through 19. And it says that he will grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man, meaning the spirit that is within us. For those of you that don't know, we have a flesh suit that is our body, and we have a spirit which is the thing that God breathed into us in existence and in creation, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love, key phrase here, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. So we believe that the Bible says to be rooted and grounded in love. And over this, these past three weeks, we've, we've talked strategically about three things, that being worship, secondly, prayer. And if you were here last week, you heard Pastor Trent talk a lot about prayer and how it correlates with the word of God. So tonight, I want to present to you guys what I feel God has laid on my heart for his people about the word of God. Before we do that, before I go any further, I want to go ahead and just bow our heads in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, God, I thank you for this evening. Father, I thank you that your word is true, that everything that you have spoken will come to pass and has already came to pass. God, I have faith, and we have faith in this building, that everything that you have written, we can have confidence and strength and power in it. God, I pray that you will be with my words and that you will remove any words that are not of mine tonight, that you will remove any distracting spirits, and that you will allow us to receive in fullness of grace what you have given to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. So real quick, I have a, a question to pose for you guys. Have you guys ever not wanted to do something? Just like anything, right? So a lot of times we don't want to do stuff. Like we don't want to take the trash out or we don't want to do our homework. Some of us might not want to take a shower Isaiah, I'm not saying you stink, but maybe you stink. Maybe you need to take a shower. Some of us might not want to go to sleep at night. We're night owls. But then when we don't go to sleep, we don't want to get up in the morning, so then we're late for school, right? Some of us, we just don't like doing certain things in life. How many of you guys like to use a porta potty What? Where'd you get that? Nobody likes using a porta potty You know what I'm talking about. So I was at this concert, right, a long time ago. And I'm walking, and we're at this concert, and, you know, it's normal. I think it's at the, uh, the one over there in Tampa, you got the grass. And we were in the grass section, the cheaper tickets. So 
you know, we're doing our thing, we're having a blast, but then all of a sudden the inevitable happens. And it's just time. I gotta go. I'm trying to figure, okay, it's, oh man. So I'm looking for like an exit strategy. So naturally, the, the number one thing I do is I start looking for like a nice, clean place, you know, a clean concrete bathroom that they keep up with three to four times a day. There's fresh toilet paper, like the good stuff, not the stuff that dissolves in your hand, but like the Charmin stuff, right? You guys, are, you know what I'm talking about. We all go through these things in life and we process them. So I go to that and there is, there's nothing there. There is no concrete bathroom that is cleaned all the time. So I'm at the stage where I'm like, okay, I got a choice to make. I can go to this porta potty or I could leave, but I'm not going to do that because I live like an hour away. So something bad's going to happen if I don't go to this porta potty. So I, I walk to the porta potty, right? And then I get up to the door and I'm like, all right, I got to take like one of these Michael Phelps breaths. Like I have to have his lung capacity to be able to make it through this point in my life. So do what I got to do. I take a deep breath. I, I go in, right? You guys, you, you know, you, you've all been there. And then you, you're, okay, I'm like, oh, man. So I got a choice to make. It's either I, I let my breath out, right, and I just inhale a whole bunch of doo-doo particles, or I pass out in this porta potty and then somebody's got to find me. And that'd be, that would be embarrassing, right? So what do you guys think I did? I passed out. Somebody had to, I'm just kidding, I didn't pass out. I had to do what no one, no man should have to do, and that is inhale that of another man. It is disgusting. Have you, let me ask you again, have you ever not wanted to do something? How often do we not want to do something so bad, right? Like we don't want to go to a porta potty, but we do the same thing with the word of God. We do the same thing with the very thing that has been written and spoken to us to give us life. It baffles me. But it's something that we all do as part of this nature that we have, this flesh, like I was talking, flesh body versus our spirit. Galatians talks a lot about it, that we should walk in the spirit and not in the flesh because they are a dichotomy. What I mean by that is they are separate. They go against one another. So our, my goal tonight, right, is not to, to figure out why we don't want to get in the word. My goal tonight is to bring a deeper understanding to what the word is, because I thoroughly believe that if you have a thorough understanding, a knowledge, a wisdom of anything, you're more apt to do that thing. And I, I thoroughly believe that in the church society period, especially this generation and in all generations, we don't have a thorough understanding of what the word of God does for us and why it was even written, what it is even doing here. So I want to, us as a whole, I want to take you on a journey tonight of what that means and for us to understand it a little deeper. And the best way to do that is to go to the word. So first, we're going to start out with the word and what it means. John 1, 1 through 5 states, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Most of us have heard this. Some of us have not. It's very, it's very common in our um, church. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, 
And that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. What this verse is talking about is it's comparing the word of God, and it's stating that that word is also Jesus Christ. Now, that can be kind of confusing. What are you talking about? Like God's word is Jesus. Well, we know if we know anything about the Trinity, we know that God, the Holy Spirit, and Jesus are all one. That Jesus was with God and the Holy Spirit was with God when he created the foundations of the earth. That God's wisdom is Jesus. They are all three in one, and that's hard for us to understand. But if you go further, John 1, 14 states, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. What this is stating, what became flesh, that is Jesus Christ himself who took on that flesh suit that I was speaking of and the spirit of God came into his body and he walked this earth in a perfect way so he could shed his blood for our sins so that we could spend eternal life with him. But all that leads me to tonight's big idea and that big idea is the Bible or the word of God, it is alive. It's alive. Say it with me. The Bible is alive. Say it with a little bit more enthusiasm. The Bible is alive. Oh, that's, that's better. That's better. I kind of feel like you guys are believing it a little bit, just a little bit. So what he means by the, the word of God is alive. Alive, when I say alive, I mean a living organism, a breathing thing. You're sitting in this chair and you're alive, right? If you were the opposite, you would be, would you be alive? It's real simple. <laughs> it's alive. It's alive in our lives. It's alive in our heart. It's active. It's moving. And scripture proves it. John 6, 63 says, the spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you are spirit and they are life. So this spirit actually means it's hardly translated correctly into the English word. The Greek word for this is pneuma. And that word means breath or wind, if you translate it into the English. But for those of you that don't know, when things are translated sometimes, a lot of stuff gets kind of pushed away. Our English language doesn't express what the Greek and Hebrew language did so much with one word. And the Greek had this connotation behind it, this amplification that that word meant the power behind the word that was spoken in that breath that God gave. We see it in scripture all the time. It actually means, like I said, that power, and you see it when God did it, the most monumental thing he ever did, and that was create the world. In Genesis chapter one, verse three, it said, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. We see right there in that moment that when God said, when he spoke, his breath came along with power and literally created a thing, the world. We can't forget this. That makes it so real. It makes it so tangible. It makes it so live. What it does is it takes a idea, a concept, and puts it into a physical, tangible realm. How many of you guys know that you can speak the word of God into existence? That we have life and death in the power of our tongues. We speak things into a physical, tangible existence. And the word of God has the power to speak what is light and not darkness into existence. Watch what God says here in Hebrews 4, 12 as well. It states, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing the soul, the soul being your mind, your will, 
your emotions, and your spirit, that inner man, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. So in essence, it convicts you of sin. It takes your mind and your attitudes of your heart and it separates them and it says, this is what the word of God says you should do and what would make you live righteously and this is what you have been doing. It convicts you of that sin. But see, right here in all of this, we, we get this sometimes, this idea of we, ha- we have the word, but it's just the word. It's not that solid understanding that the word is alive and it's active and it's making things physically tangible and it can do things for your life. It can negate the negativity. It can push away all those bad thoughts and all that bad situations that you put yourself in or have been put in. It has this power, but it can only do that by activation of a few things. And that's what I want to go into next. Three things that must accompany the word to make it work. The first would be faith activates the word. You see, sometimes words are spoken and people don't necessarily receive, receive them. In Hebrews 4.2, 4, 2, it says, For we also have had the gospel preached to us just as they did. Gospel meaning the good news, the good news that Jesus Christ came, died, and rose again. But the message they heard was of no value to them. Why? Because those who heard did not combine it with faith. The one that you're looking at here is a different translation. It said they did not share the faith of those who obeyed. What it's saying is they didn't have that faith. The definition of faith is pistis in Greek, and it means a strong persuasion or a firm belief, a conviction of such, a trust, a deep trust in something. They have in them the confidence that this is real. If I told you right now that my hair was long, would you have faith that my hair is long? Somebody said yes, they are seriously deceived, maybe a couple months ago. You have faith, a strong confidence, a persuasion in because you see that my hair was long and now it's not, my hair's short. And you know that it's short because you have that confidence, that persuasion because you have seen it. The Bible is saying in this verse that they didn't combine the word of God with faith, the strong persuasion of the fact that what God was saying was true. You see, so many times we take what others say and we put faith in that. And we don't put faith in the word of God. We put faith in the philosophies of the world, but we never put faith in the word of God that is supposed to dictate culture. We allow other things to run rampant in our lives and in our minds because we have a strong persuasion. But why? A lot of times because our own fleshly desire wants to and because the enemy wants to trick us away from the power of this word. So once we have that faith, it activates the word. So you may ask me, well, how do you get faith? What are you talking about? I want faith because I want to know what the word of God says. I want to be able to to understand that word in my life. Number two, in order to have faith, revelation activates faith. So when we're talking about the word of God, we understand the original intent from the original scripture, right? That's what I want to get to you guys. And when I say revelation, I mean like a revealed truth. A revealed truth will activate the words that God has spoken. Sometimes we've heard verses over and over, and I know you've been in this boat. You've heard stuff spoken over and over from a pulpit or from a pastor, from a friend. 
You maybe even memorized it, but it never really meant anything to you other than a strand of words that made a sentence. And you quoted it, or you know it, because it's been beat in your head, but you never really applied it to your life. The revelation of that word has never been made so to you. So when you're talking about revelation, we gotta go back to the original Greek and what it says, there is a word for word, right? When we're talking about the word of God and it's written in two different ways in the Greek, which implies two different meanings. The first is logos. Logos means simply a a statement, a word that is spoken. Like I'm making statements right now. Those are logos, those are words. Or on the other hand, there is another one which is rima, which means revealed. And what Rima means, the revealed word. That statement, those words are put together and I have a revelation of what they mean in my life, how they're applicable, the power that they have, the tangible means that I have to use them. Luke 1, 34 through 38 says this, and it's speaking, when the angel is speaking to Mary, it says, how will this be? Mary asked the angel. Since I am a virgin, the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. For no word from God will ever fail. This word in this sentence right here means rima. For no word, no revealed word from God will ever fail you. So you're thinking, I want that revelation. I want to be able to get the revelation in his words because I know they won't fail. If it's saying it won't fail, it's not going to fail. The words of God will never return void. So how do I get the deepest revelation to be able to apply his words and his promises to my life? Meditation. Thirdly, meditation activates revelation. If we want to be able to understand and we want God to reveal what he's speaking to us in our life and through his word, which we all have access to. We have to meditate on his word. We can't run from it like we run from a portal pot because we don't want to pass out. We have to run to it like it's the only thing that can save our life and we're about to die. Joshua 1, 7 through 8 says, the book, do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. That word meditate, what they're saying is, is to really sit in it, to try to understand, to dwell on it, not just pass by it. So often we just, we take the word of God and we say, okay, I read the verse of the day, all right, I'm good. Or, yeah, I heard somebody talk about the word of God last week, so I'm good. We actually dig in for ourselves in a personal matter and we meditate on it. We do everything we can to understand what it means to our life so that God will give us revelation of what he's trying to tell us. And I promise you, the only way, the only way that you will see revelation of his word is if you meditate and you ask God on a personal level in your own time with him, God, please reveal and you pray. Like Pastor Trent talked about last week, you pray and you ask, please reveal this word to me. So I want to give you, and we, I want to be practical with this because I know this is like a lot of information that is being thrown out, but I think it's the, of most importance because without that understanding, you'll never get this. You'll never want to dig into the word. And the whole point, like I said, is for us to give you an understanding to where you want to dig into the word because we know that God's promise is that it will change your life. That if you dig into the word every day for a year, 
When you come back next year, your life will be 100% different. It will be 100% better. It will line up with the word of God and his promises are the best thing that we could ever have. So three practical steps that you can do in getting in God's word and understanding it. Number one, you must accept its authority. What do I mean by that? In 1 Thessalonians 2.13, it says, we also thank God continually because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as the word of men, but actually as it is the word of God, which is at work in you who believe. I want to pull out a point. It says, not as the word of man. Like I was saying earlier, there's a lot of things that men have put into this world that have been clouded by a, a, a lie and a deceit that the enemy has put into their minds because he wants us to believe everything other than the one word that will set us free. There is a reason that the enemy wants you to do that because he's, he doesn't, I want to just give you guys a little nugget. The enemy doesn't like you having the word of God. You understand that, right? Because when a child of God is equipped with God's promises over his life and he understands them, he becomes a threat to the one thing the enemy is trying to do. When you understand that you were meant to live in and dwell in and meditate on the will in the words of God, then everything that the enemy and the kingdom of the enemy is trying to do completely negates. He is already defeated. It's not really, it's not a battle between God and Satan. You guys understand that, right? God won. That's it. <laughs> Mic drop. <laughs> the battle is between the enemy and us because he is after our souls because he doesn't want us to get what we were created to have anyways. You can see this so many times, and I, I, I'm going I'm to go this route. You can see this so many times in Scripture. If you think about it, the one tactic that the enemy used, the first tactic ever that he used on mankind, we see in Genesis 3, 1, where he comes to Eve as a serpent, cunning, more cunning than any animal in the garden, and he says to Eve, did God really say that you cannot eat of any tree in the garden? The first thing that he ever says and puts in Eve's mind is a seed of doubt. Doubt of what? Doubt of God's word over Adam and Eve's life. You see, the enemy wants to do the same thing to us. He wants to put doubt in our mind of what the God has already spoken over our lives. What God has already spoken over our lives is already written in the word of God. And if it, if it is written and it is spoken, it is done. But if we don't have the understanding of it, then by default, we're just hurting ourselves. Hosea 4.6 says that my people perish for the lack of knowledge. Knowledge of what? Understanding of what? The understanding of the words and the promises that the Lord has already spoken over your life. The enemy then goes, and if you notice, he, he uses another little trick here. If you look back in Genesis 2, God didn't say what the enemy said. He said it, but the enemy took what he said and just twisted it and just it worded it a different way. God said that you could eat of any tree in this garden except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But Satan comes back and says, no, that's not what he said. He said, did he really say that you can't eat of any tree in the, in the garden? You see how he twists what God says? He uses a deceitful mechanism. He takes 99% truth and then adds 1% lie 
and then throws it to you, and then all of a sudden you reeled right in. Because he twists it all around and he manipulates it. And it allows us to go down a path that we never wanted to go down to. And then you see that Eve and Adam went into a path of sin, and that's why we're at today. That doubt in your life, that seed of doubt, that seed of deceit that he plants in your heart, then turns into a wrongful desire. And if you read in James chapter 1, verse 13 through 18, it talks about how desire, the wrong desire, turns into sin, and the result of sin is then death. You see, boys and girls, what that means is we were never meant to die. We were never meant. Have you ever noticed that when someone passes away, a loved one, in you naturally, there is a, part, a portion of your soul that just says, this isn't, it hurts. There, there's a, a pulling away. It's because naturally in our spirits, as when we were created in the garden, we were supposed to live in eternity in the culture of heaven with our almighty father. With what? With the word of God as our shelter, as our shield. Living by what that dictates as culture, not what man, what the enemy dictates as culture. So we see that doubt to desire, to sin, to death. And that's how the enemy gets us all wrapped up. But I come tonight to say that there is one way out of all of that. You see, Jesus Christ came to enter into a flesh suit like we have. That's the only way he could do it. By Adam and by a flesh suit, there was sin. So by another man, there had to be redemption of sin. So Jesus comes and lives a perfect life. The word says that he was tempted by every single thing that we were tempted by. But he overcame every single thing that the enemy threw at him. We see it time and time again. He would quote what? He would quote the word of God to the enemy. When he was in the desert for 40 days and 40 nights, he was not eating and he knew that God had called him there. The Holy Spirit had said, do not eat fast for these days. And the enemy came to him and said, aren't you hungry? You could just make bread right now out of these rocks. And he said that no man shall live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of the living God. Jesus was an exemplary model of every man, of how every man and woman should live. If he quoted the scripture, shouldn't we? If he lived by the word, shouldn't we? Secondly, you must assimilate its truths. And I'm almost done here. And what I mean by assimilate is, it's simple. Assimilation is, it, it's a, a long word for something that means it, you must absorb like a sponge the revealed word, remember that word rima, into your life to the point that your life resembles those very truths. In essence, your life becomes what the word of God says. You do what it says. Not by someone lording over you and telling you you have to, but because it's been revealed to you that that is what makes you whole. That is what fulfills you because that's what you were born to do. And lastly, you must apply its principles. 
James 1.22 says this, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves just like Satan deceived Eden or Eve in the Garden of Eden. It says, do what it says. Do what it says. It is so easy sometimes to hear something and to just kind of go along with what culture says you go along with it. And you guys all know what I'm talking about. Sometimes we repeat things just because we know that's what people expect us to say. But in our hardest of hearts, deep down, do we really mean it? Do we really have faith and have a strong persuasion that what we are saying is truth? I would encourage you tonight, do not say one thing, quote a scripture, and then not do it. Only do it if you mean it. I really mean that. Only do it if you really mean it. Because if not, you're like a resounding gong. Like, it just doesn't make sense. You're doing one thing, yet your life looks another way. It's confusing to people. And you're even confusing yourself. And that's exactly what the enemy wants to do. He wants to deceive you by, de by convincing you to con deceive yourself. I want to close with this story. When me and, and my wife first got married, my, my father-in-law, he gave us this, it was a, like a, a booklet, like this prayer journal, right? And it had all of these declarations of scripture in it. And I'm not, I'm not gonna lie, guys, I'm being completely honest. When he first gave it to me and I was looking through it, I was like, this is, what? Like, I'm supposed to pray this every single night? Like, this just seems, it seems kind of kooky. But what I, I didn't realize and I didn't understand at that time was the truth and the power that the word of God has when you speak it and when you believe it in your heart. So there was a, t a time span that I would go through and, and I would just kind of say it, you know, just, okay, I did it. Yeah, he, you know, they told me to do it. I feel good about myself. I'm just gonna do it. And I did that for a while and then it kind of faded out because I was just kind of my own flesh making myself do it. And I didn't think it was really doing anything in my life at all, right? And then one night, those same scriptures that I should have been quoting and should have been understanding and should have been really honing in on and revealing to myself and my life and just, and just meditating on, they could have came in such a pivotal moment because we just had a bad, bad, bad night. And, and I say this story because it's so, it's, it's real. I'm not going to tell you some story like, you know, some, an alien came down to my house and tried to abduct me and I quoted the word of God and it went away. Like as cool as that would be, that didn't happen. No, what happened is I realized that whole night, it was like chaotic in my house. I mean, it was, it was really chaotic. My son, he was crying way more than normal. My wife was chaotic because of that. And then I had this sense of just anxiety and fear inside me. And in that moment, God, the Holy Spirit revealed something to me. He said, go to that journal that that man of God pulled out. And, and those words were revealed to him because he pushed in and, and meditated on my word. 
and pray them over your life in this situation right now and see what happens. So like a good boy or girl, I just did that. I opened up, I have it on my phone, I opened it up, I scrolled through and I started praying it. And I prayed it this time with a sense of power, a sense of the fact that I know that it's real and that it's really working. And as the word started to flow out of my mouth, all of a sudden the house started to realign with what the word of God says to be true. That there will be peace, that there will be no spirit of fear or anxiety, that the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard our hearts and our minds. And before you know it, and after quoting those scriptures, everything was peaceful and all the chaos just ceased to exist. And in that moment, I realized, God, this is, this is real. <laughs> Why have I not been doing this the whole time? So I ask you guys tonight, what is holding you back? What is holding you back from cracking open the word and digging into it and meditating on it and understanding it? You were born, you were literally born to do that one thing. And for us not to take advantage of the one thing we were born to do just doesn't seem right. So with all heads bowed and all eyes closed tonight, I wanna ask you this question. Maybe you are in that situation where you just haven't been in the word or, or you never even cracked open a Bible and, and you, this is the first time you're even hearing of what the word is and what it does. And you wanna have this fire in your heart to learn what God is saying over your life and what he's already spoken and to just take up the truths that have already been put into existence. I want you to raise your hand. Go ahead and slip your hand up. I'm gonna pray over the people that tonight just want to have that yearning and that, that desire to get into his word. So dear Father, I just thank you for this evening, God. We thank you for your word. We thank you for everything that it promises to us. We thank you that everything in a moment has to align with what you say over our life and that everything else has to go. God, I pray that you will give us a fire in our hearts, a desire, a burning desire to feed our spirits with your word, that you will give us understanding, that you will give us faith, you will give us revelation, and you will reveal to us everything that you have spoken. Father, we thank you. And now with all heads bowed and all eyes still closed, tonight if you have never heard of this word at all, or you've never even heard of, of Jesus Christ and the fact that he came as a man and he died on the cross to save your soul, I want us all to repeat this prayer together. Dear Jesus, I thank you that you are my Lord and Savior that you came to redeem my soul. I accept you this evening as my Lord and as my Savior. Come into my heart, change my world. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Now if that was you tonight with all heads bowed and all eyes closed being respectful, 
I just want you to slip your hand up on the count of three and we're gonna have a servant leader with a red shirt come and give you a card. And that card is just something that you can fill out to take this a step further so we can get to know you and get to talk to you a little bit more about this step of faith that you have made. So on the count of three, please raise your hand. One, two, three. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. So everybody looking up here. We're going to enter into one last song of worship. And I've said this before, but I, I don't want you guys to miss this moment. Every moment that happens, you have a chance to make something happen. And, and you may never get this moment back. So don't take this moment lightly because this moment very well could and will change your life if you take full advantage of it. So I'm gonna pray one more time and then we're gonna come up for this last song of worship. Dear Heavenly Father, God, we thank you for everything that you have done tonight. God, we thank you for what you were doing in your kingdom. Father, we thank you for every soul that is in this house. Father, we thank you for your worship. God, we thank you, we thank you, we thank you. Release into us, God, exactly what your word says, God, and give us a heart for your word. In the name of Jesus, we pray, amen. You guys can come on for worship.